You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here, back in action, talking all things Texas A&M, and what's it like to go behind enemy lines into the bayou? We're going to find all that out with one of my main friends, Glenn West from Sports Illustrated. But before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this a more quality-sounding podcast, Monday through Friday, we are on every single day. Give me a follow, and I'll add it into the repertoire. And secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th Man-related content found here on LOP. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day, because every single day is a Locked on Aggies podcast day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. As I always said, I like to bring on my old friends because they know sports better than anyone else I know. And this six foot ten behemoth of a man understands the LSU Tigers more than anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, give him a follow. Sports Illustrated Glenn West is joining us to talk all things LSU. Glenn, what's going on, my guy? Uh, things are going great here in the Bayou. Cole, how are you doing, man? Thanks for having I- me. I am good. I am excited. And more importantly, I'm excited for this game because I feel like in the first time in a very long time, even when we go back to that seven overtime game, this is one of the actual more closer battles between Texas A&M and LSU. These are two teams that I think very well match each other. I think going into the year, they still would have matched each other very well. And that's something that I just really want to bring up because of LSU is one of those teams where everyone's like, oh, they're struggling. They're having such a rough season. But you really have to look at what they lost last year. And everyone's like, oh, they lost Joe Burrow. No, they also lost their starting running back. They also lost their main receiver. They also lost their starting tight end. Most of their offensive line, both the coordinators. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We talk about what LSU lost. So just when you look at what's been going on with this LSU program this year, is it really a downfall year for LSU? Or is it just a rebuild because of everything that kind of just left the program in 2019? Yeah, so I would absolutely say it's it's more of a rebuild year. I don't think that they're in a free fall. Um, I mean, obviously, there's there's been a lot of things this year that that, that could lend you to believe that um, they they've they've lost some some heartbreaking games in their early the early part of their schedule in Missouri and Mississippi State, and uh, obviously the blowout at Auburn was was something that I don't think a lot of people expected. But um, you know the w- one of the things that I just keep coming back to is exactly what you just talked about. You know, they've lost. 19 guys from last year's roster from the championship team. They lost their two coordinators. Um, and this is a very young team. They're putting a, they're starting a ton of freshmen and sophomores who haven't really played a whole lot uh, up to this point. Um, you know, their, their, their quarterback even this year is the true freshman TJ Finley. And uh, he's, he's got a handful of starts under his belt now, but uh, this has been definitely a rebuild year I would consider, um, you know, for LSU and, uh, they they got a, a great incoming class, uh, you know, too, and it's just about getting that confidence up, getting that, uh, you know, that 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 team building right, uh, you know, heading into 2021. Because let's face it, three and three, their 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 odds this year have dramatically decreased, and they're they're going to be struggling to find a bowl game. So uh, we'll we'll see, obviously, what happens with all that. I find it weird though when we talk about them struggling to find a bowl game because of they're more than likely at least going to finish with nine games and there's going to be teams like Wisconsin who are going to have six games on their belt and they're going to be a top 25 ranked team and then you have teams like Maryland who you see games get canceled for them so they're going to be either in a bowl game or they're going to be kind of on the outside looking in but 
there's more than just this past year. COVID-19 has been a very weird year. It's been a very rough year for a lot of people, myself and yourself included with our jobs, with our market. But you also look at opt-outs in the NF, I mean, in the college football realm. And for LSU, they had the biggest opt-out of the entire offseason in Jamar Chase. I I mean, this was the Fred Bolitnikoff Award winner, a guy who, if he would have came out last year, I would have had him as my number one ranked wide receiver going into the draft class. And this includes guys with Jerry Judy. This includes Justin Jefferson. This includes Henry Ruggs, uh, CeeDee Lamb. You're looking at what Chase Claypool's doing at the end of it. Jamar Chase would have been the prize jewel and a top 10 solidified pick. And they also lost one of their star defensive tackles as well on the defensive line. So, Add all that in, that automatically has to ricochet the program just a little bit for the sheer fact of you're losing your go-to guy. Yeah, I agree. And some of these moves that were made, you know, literally, you know, a few weeks before their season opener, you know, Jamar Chase was was number seven. He was practicing. He was right in the middle of things in training camp and, you know, elects to opt out and, you know, focus on the 2021 draft. So, uh, you know, I, I certainly think that the the turnover is is understandable this year. Uh, I think where I think a lot of LSU fans have started to kind of get lost is the the defensive performance this year uh, under first year coordinator Bo Pelini. There's just been a lot of miscommunication errors, a lot of missed assignments, and some of that you can chalk up to being a new team and guys still trying to get their feet wet. But if these issues are still kind of happening six games into their season, uh, you know there, there is some cause for concern there. LSU gave up. Uh, they in, in their win against Arkansas last weekend, nine explosive plays, nine plays went for over 20 yards. Uh, they they found some answers, uh, you know, as as terms of three and outs, they were able to you know force seven or eight three and outs against the Razorbacks. So that was something that they can certainly build on. Um, but defensively, they've just been kind of a mess all season, and that's kind of been their downfall. Uh, offensively, you've seen this team at times look really really great, you know, kind of uh, you know reflective of that team last year at times and then you know against a team like Auburn they've they've struggled and uh they've struggled with their offensive line consistency this time uh this time around you know as you mentioned they lost four guys from their offensive line last year uh they're starting a Harvard transfer at center and uh they're starting a uh you know a, a true freshman and 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 also some 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 younger guys that really haven't had a whole lot of experience so uh, I think all that kind of plays into what you've seen this year as a, as a 500 start for this team. Now, I kind of want to get your opinion on this because of Bo Pelini, defense coordinator, was an LSU guy. I mean, he was there during the Les Mile era. It was because of his defense that he landed a job at Nebraska to where he actually made Nebraska kind of relevant again for a couple of years before he ultimately left to go uh, coach at Youngstown State and then come back. Do you think just because of, you know, they say that new is always better. And sometimes that's very true. But I look at new is always better because of there's always improvement. There's always things moving in a, in a progressive way towards something new. And you look at how offenses are preparing, especially at the collegiate level. Do you think it's just his style of coaching that has made this LSU defense that last year was one of the best in the SEC, one of the best in the country, one of the best in turnover ratio really been depleted or is it just lack of talent? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's I don't think it's a lack of talent. I would say last year, you know, under David Randa, he was certainly the more players coach. You know, he was the guy that could relate to his players a little bit better than maybe a 55-year-old Bo Pelini could now. Uh, but, you know, Pelini had some great defenses back in the, 
you know, back in the early 2000s and those 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 championship teams that they had, uh, championship caliber teams that they had. And I just think that, honestly, it's just been uh, the shift in the game. You know, back in those days, it was very run heavy. You could, you know, stack the box and get a lot of pressure on your quarterbacks and not really have to worry about a quarterback airing it out for 450 yards and, you know, going over the top of your secondary. So I do think it's been a struggle uh, from that standpoint, just because if they are they are moving back to that four three, they they've tried to put you know they've simplified this defense as much as they can throughout the season. Uh, they're bringing the they're, they're actually they're 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 doing very well in getting after the quarterback. They're among the conference leaders in sacks, and they they've had some good turnovers and and, and timely turnovers as well. So uh, that part of the game that they're they're they are doing well, but I think it's when they can't get to the quarterback. It's the back half of that defense that's kind of getting sports uh, when you're talking about, and, and that includes Derek Stingley. You know, Stingley has, is their first team All-American, but he, he's been kind of injury riddled this year. He's struggled at times. And uh, it's just been kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a mess back there in that back half of the secondary. So, um, you know, I think it's just a combination of guys not really understanding the, the, the what they're supposed to be doing because they're so young. And then also just just kind of being beaten, you know, kind of beating themselves. It's not like uh, these other teams are beating them. It's they're they're, you know, beating themselves a lot of these times. I definitely agree. I, I can I completely understand. And you look at how run defenses now are actually kind of on the back burner. It's all about mm-hmm. secondary. That is just part of what is going on in today's society. We got Glenn West here from Sports Illustrated joining the podcast. But like Glenn and I both know. Everyone needs a break. And whenever you feel like you have to be on, whether it's because of work, family, social gatherings, whatever it is, your clock has never stopped running. That's why whenever you do get a chance to finally slow down and relax a little bit, reach for an ice cold beer. And the one that I go for that's literally made to chill is Coors Light. Coors Light wants you to know know, that no matter what sport is on this fall, Saturdays are made for your time to chill. It doesn't matter what sport is playing. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport for Texas A&M or LSU just to sit back and drink a beer. And with its cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged pressing made by the great people of the Coors Brewing Company in Golden, Colorado, the beer is literally made to chill. And its crisp, refreshing taste shows that your beer will be as cold as the Rocky Mountains themselves. Coors Light is the beer that I choose to drink when I need to unwind, and you should too, because it's literally made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And remember, celebrate responsibly. Guys, everyone here knows that Locked On Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. And you've known Built Bar's products because they have 12 awesome original flavors, including German chocolate cake, peanut butter, banana bread, coconut almond. But with their six new flavors, including caramel brownie cookies and cream, cherry bakia, and carrot cake, you have so much more of options. These bars are more like candy bars than they are actually protein bars because they're covered in 100% real chocolate and their nougat center is soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy or girl because they help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for someone on the keto diet. My favorite bar right now is the peanut butter bar, and you guys know this, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a product like this on the shelf. Glenn can agree. And while supplies last, go visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off your next order. That promo code is LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. 
Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Paul Thompson here, back in action. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts, writing your favorite sports teams? If so, listen to a Locked On Podcast. The Locked On Podcast Network is over two dozen college sports shows every single day, plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up and win your fantasy football league. Subscribe on iTunes and listen on Spotify. And if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day, because every single day is a Locked On Podcast day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. Glenn West from Sports Illustrated back here in action talking all things LSU. We're going to move into the game in a minute, but the one biggest thing I want to bring up, because this is something that's very true. In 2010, Gene Chizik came into Auburn with Cam Newton, and Cam Newton won him a national title. And two years later, he was immediately let go. They immediately changed the course. They went back to the offense with Gus Malzahn. They went to a similar structure. They knew what they had winning. And Malzahn, whether you like him, whether you think he's overrated, whether you think he's average, has been the coach of the Auburn Tigers since. This past season, Ed Orgeron brought in Joe Brady from the New Orleans Saints to be the guy, to fix Joe Burrow, to make this offense great. And this was the number one scoring offense we've ever seen. And by far and away, it was the most impressive collegiate offense we have ever seen. Joe Brady is now in Carolina. You look at Ed Orgeron, nobody believed in him. Nobody. I mean, not even the media believed that he was going to be a good hire when they announced that he was going to be the hire at LSU. And much like Les Miles, he bought into one guy, Cam Cameron. And when Cam Cameron was not being let go, they said, all right, we're going to let both of you go. You're looking at Bo Pelini. You're looking at Ed Orgeron. You're looking at what Joe Brady's doing with a limited offense in Carolina. And he's going to be the hottest head coaching name in about a year. Are we going to see history repeat itself where the quarterback transfers into the program, leaves, and potentially the OC comes back and is actually the head coach long-term? Is Ed Orgeron officially on the hot seat? Uh, No, I don't think so. I I think that there's, before a lot of, you know, the the, – just – I think one of the big things that you have to really consider here is that Ed Orgeron has been throughout his tenure uh, extremely uh, adaptive. You know, he, he does a great job of uh, when he brings somebody on and it's just not working out, he's not afraid to cut ties with them. And that I think the best example of that can be a couple of years ago, which was be, the year before he hired Steve uh, Ensminger as his offensive coordinator. Um, he had uh, 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 his name's escaping me right now. Um, uh, he was up at Rutgers for a little while, and uh, I can't really recall his name at the top of my head. Um, sorry about that, but um, you know he he was there, and he, he did. Oh, Matt Canada, sorry, Matt Canada. He oh, was Matt there. Canada, yeah, my bad. Yeah, and uh, he was there for a year, and just just didn't work out. And Ed Orgeron, you know, let him go. You know, he released him, and he was you know very very you know uh, you know trustworthy with the media after that, just saying, look, I made a mistake. It wasn't what we were looking for and uh, they, they were able to hire Steve Ensminger, you know, upgrade him as the OC and they, you know, and within two years built a championship caliber offense and a championship caliber team. So I don't think that he's afraid to cut ties with Pelini. Um, I think that there's going to be another a number of angles that's going to have to come through this uh, kind of more specifically his $4.6 million buyout, which is going to be at the end of this year, which is what they'll have to pay him if they do want to move on. Um, and in the middle of a COVID-19 world where these athletic departments and administrations are already losing so much money, 
um, that that could be a tough sell. Um, I'm not saying that it's that's definitely not going to happen, and that they they won't find some additional funds from their Tiger Athletic Foundation. But uh, if that is the move that they want to make, um, it's it's going to be a little bit more difficult to pull off on a year like this where you're already losing so much revenue. So I think you know uh, you know Orgeron has proven you know over the years he's adaptive and he's very much forward thinking in terms of technology and things of that nature too. So. I don't think that he would be afraid to move on from Pelini if this thing doesn't get, if this, you know, course doesn't ride its ship, you know, here in the next couple of weeks. I think the biggest thing is when you look at these historic programs, the Alabamas, the uh, the USC's, the Texas's, you want coaches who are at the top of their game. And Orgeron is having a bad year for with everything he lost. He made the wrong call at the DC, in my opinion. He made a ton of mistakes in the offseason with what they were trying to do to bring in people, but he has a winning record at LSU. And, and much like Clay Helton at USC, winning records keep you around. It's why Will Muschamp, one of the hottest defensive coordinators in the history of the sport, has had two chances to be a head coach in the SEC and has fizzled out of both because he can't win as a head coach. And Orgeron can. And that's where I think the difference kind of is. So I actually agree with you on that. There is a lot of history with this Texas A&M and LSU rivalry since 2012. One win has come in Aggieland, and it was, of course, the seven-overtime game. The catch by Courtney Davis to set it overtime as time expired. Back and forth, back and forth, and then eventually, you know, you have the Kendrick Rogers two-point conversion. Game sealed. A&M gets the 75, uh, 76-74 win at 11.52 at night. Game started at 7 p.m., I don't think we're going to see fireworks like that this year, but you do have to look at LSU. Where do they match up well with AM? Yeah, I think one of the big areas they'll be able to match up well is through the passing game. I think what we've seen is that, you know, uh, LSU and Texas A&M, their, their rivalry kind of starts with the passing game. Um, you know, I think uh, TJ Finley is going to have to have a great day uh, for LSU to have the chance in this one. Um, because we, what we do know is that the Aggies defense and their, 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 their rushing attack is, you know, it's, it's predicated to have success with the run game. And I think Texas A&M is number one or number two in the SEC and rushing and, uh, up there on defense as well. So it's going to be important for LSU to establish the run, uh, early, get those three or four yard chunks, put their freshman quarterback in third and manageable situations and, um, let it, let it fly. I do think. You know, I, I was just doing a little bit of research. I think AM is allowing 245 yards passing a game, which is kind it's of about that, yeah. Uh, middle of the pack. So, I mean, there there are some opportunities there because LSU has some great weapons. They have Paris Marshall still. They have the freshman phenom tight end, Eric Gilbert. Uh, they have some guys that can make some plays on this offense. And uh, it's just going to be about, you know, can the protection hold up long enough for Finley to make his quick reads? Uh, that's been kind of the theme with with LSU and Finley so far is that they want him to get the ball out of his hands quick, uh, you know, give him those short, easy throws. And uh, that's going to be something that's uh, going to be a huge, uh, huge part of this game. And then obviously on the defensive side of the ball, you have to really manage LSU or uh, A&M and Kellen Mond and because he's proven to be a mobile quarterback. I don't think he's run as much this year uh, as he has in past years, but. Um, you know, you got to be able to keep him in check. You got to be able to keep, obviously, their star running back Spiller in check. And uh, that's going to be, uh, obviously, the big keys on defense for LSU. I think what's really fun is that Terrace Marshall Jr. 
was the number four option last year. I mean, he was literally kind of lost in the crowd, even though he did have, I think it was 11 touchdowns. I would say number three. I would say he was probably the number three option, maybe. I mean, I would say between him and Thaddeus Moss, it kind of switched on yeah. and off per game. Yeah. So, I mean, like, but, but he's really emerged this year as oh. a true number one. I think at the NFL level, at least number two. I think with him actually playing and without Jamar Chase there, it's boosted his draft stock. And on the flip side, Miles Jones for Texas A&M, the cornerback, was always the other corner. It was always, you know, it was always going to be uh, Elijah Blades. It was always going to be Devin Renfro. It was always going to be somebody else. Now these two are going to be head-to-head, probably trying to boost their draft stock. What do you make of a matchup between two guys who probably are considered number twos on any other given day actually being against each other in, a, in, a, in what feels like a must-win matchup for both teams? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I I wouldn't call it a must win for LSU. I mean, I think at this point they're just trying to hope to find some consistency uh, with with their team and and just kind of build on some momentum for next year. But uh, absolutely, I think this is going to be a matchup to watch. I mean, Terrace Marshall has been uh, the guy all season long. He's kind of actually fallen into a little bit of a lull these last two games. Uh, LSU's only played once in November because they had about three weeks off because of their open date and their. Uh, obviously also the the postponement with Alabama. Um, but, you know, Marshall has been their guy all season long. He's been very, very um, consistent in getting in the end zone. I think the first three or four games, he had about nine catches and six of them had gone for touchdowns uh, just because, you know, he's he, insane, uh, you know, down as a vertical threat. And uh, obviously once you get in the red zone, he's a big six, four target as well. So, I think you're absolutely right. He's certainly improved his draft stock over the last couple of uh, you know, weeks. And uh, yeah, I, I would, you know, probably say he's, you know, maybe a second round bottom of the first kind of guy right now. We'll see if he can continue to improve on that, but he's certainly uh, once he's gotten his injuries, you know, taken care of because he was injured a lot last year uh, in his first couple of years in Baton Rouge. I think you're really starting to see a star emerge for LSU. You have a six foot four weapon, more than likely going to see one LSU receiver drafted in the first round, potentially two, if Marshall continues to develop the way he is. LSU quietly is becoming a wide receiver you. I mean, they really are when you look at some of the weapons that come out of there. And it started with Jarvis Landry, but I mean, I'm talking like DJ Chark still is a stud in Jacksonville, and nobody talks about DJ Chark, and he's fantastic. LSU definitely emerging as potentially wide receiver you. We got Glenn West here for a couple more minutes here on Locked on Aggies. Don't go anywhere. We'll be breaking down the run game of LSU and Glenn's score predictions in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson in action, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, subscribe to the podcast here on iTunes, Spotify, and listen every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Glenn West from Sports Illustrated joining up on the pod today. Glenn, last year Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was one of the more impressive, burly running backs in the SEC. I called him a pinball because of literally he would ricochet off of off of his own offensive lineman, bounce up, and then immediately fly. I mean, that's just how dangerous he was. And you look at the run game this year with John Emery Jr. and Tyrion Davis-Price. Combined, they have over 550 yards. But also at the same time, LSU is really limited in their run game. Total of 746 yards, six touchdowns on the ground, five coming from those two alone. Is it the offensive line that's been the problem? Is it the running backs that have been the problem? I mean, what has gone wrong this season to where these two highly talented, both were uh, four or five stars when they came out. What is going on with their run game this year? 
I, I would probably attribute it to a number of things. I would say consistency on the offensive line has been one. Um, you know, when the offensive line is 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 focused and they're they're doing their thing, the, then the running backs have had some really great games. I mean, it, it's been uh, just kind of a struggle week in and week out. I think for this offensive line to find some consistency in their blocking uh, with the run game is when the one when the run game is concerned and. Uh, you know, as you said, though, Emory and Davis Price are two very talented backs. They've kind of gone back and forth this year. Uh, LSU's kind of used both of them. But if one starts to, uh, you know, kind of presume himself as the bell cow for a particular game, they'll stick with him, which is why I think you've seen at times, you know, a John Emory against Vanderbilt and South Carolina, Darian Davis Price this last week against Arkansas. Um, you know, they, they've certainly had, you know, their 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 fair share of carries. but you know, really when they are able to lock in and, and get that one guy going, I think that's when they're having the most success with their run game. And it's also opened up the passing game for them too, when they've been successful. So that's going to be a huge key against the front seven in Texas A&M. That's obviously very talented. Uh, they, they've done a great job in stopping the run this year. And uh, now LSU is going to really have to get one of those guys, one of those two guys going here uh, to really open up the, the, the field for, for TJ Finley. I think what's really interesting is Derek Stingley, what he can do against this young wide receiver core, Texas A&M. But Jacoby Stevens is a guy who has impressed. Safeties, again, are another position that I just think LSU breeds them like butter. I mean, you look at Grant Delpit and what he's going to be able to do in the next few years. You look at what Jamal Adams is doing in the NFL. Jacoby Stevens is another name to watch for, maybe a mid-round target instead of actually a first-rounder, but still a very quality corner uh, safety. He's done a little bit of everything this year. When you look at his numbers, he has a couple sacks. He has forced a couple pass deflections. He has forced, um, you know, he has forced a fumble. Just, just what do you see from his production this year? Yeah, well, I think with with the thing with Jacoby is he's always been great at playing close to the line of scrimmage. They like getting him because he's a playmaker by nature, and they like getting him in a position where he can get after the quarterback, where he can lock up with the receivers, you know, close to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, that, that this year they haven't always required him to do that. They've kind of had him a lot also as a, as a high safety, which really hasn't been his forte in the last few years. Um, so he's, he's had some moments where he's been, I guess, a little, I guess, picked on is where you could say is the, the best friendliest term to say it. Um, he's, he's um, you know, struggled sometimes in the, in the back half of the secondary when he's got those speedier receivers that he's got to cover and pick up. Um, so that's, that's been a little bit of a um, you know a question mark for LSU this year is how can they try to get Jacoby Stevens in winning situations because he's a dynamic playmaker and he proved that last year by being an All SEC you know player for LSU during their championship season. But I think with the switch to the four three, it has been a little bit difficult to find him in some areas to where he can consistently make plays. He's still making plays. Uh, but he also was giving up some plays, and that's something that you don't really like to see out of your senior safety. So you got to get him in positions where he can be successful. I agree. I mean, again, I definitely view him as a guy who has so much potential because of what he can do. He's rangy. He's willing to tackle. He's willing to play a box role. He's willing to play a little bit more in coverage. If he gets a little bit better in coverage, he's going to make a heck of a, I think, third dime safety at the NFL level. Oh, absolutely. We got freaking Glenn West here for another minute. Glenn, I can't give my score prediction just yet because I have one more show this week, but you can. Is this going to be another year where LSU comes in and destroys the Aggies, or will Kellen Mond and Jimbo Fisher keep their streak alive one more week to remain in the college football playoff hunt? Your thoughts. 
Yeah, you know, I do think that it's going to be, you know, probably a double-digit win for A&M, but I'm not really concerned about the win-loss from the perspective of LSU. I think what you really want to see is just consistency week to week. That's been the biggest problem with this LSU team this season is that they put together some good performances one week and then followed it up with a dud the next week. Um, And I I think you really want to see this team try to build some confidence, build some momentum heading into next season. And I think competing against a guy, a a team like Texas A&M, a team like Alabama, a team like Florida, who are all very much in the thick of it in the SEC, uh, gives some of these younger players a lot to play for and a lot of confidence to move forward in the next season. So uh, I think A&M probably pulls this one out by about 10 to 15 points. Um, But if you if you really want to see LSU uh, at their best, they really are going to have to start building some of that confidence with some of their younger players, maybe get some some big plays down the stretch from some of their younger players. Uh, so I think just keeping this game interesting is going to be kind of a big key for LSU. Glenn West with Sports Illustrated. Given the Aggie seal of approval this upcoming weekend, my main man, Glenn, let everyone know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, so you guys can follow me over at GlennWest21 on Twitter. We also have our uh, new Fan Nation site that's kind of converted over from the SI model. It's now called Fan Nation, and it's called, um, you can find us, though, still at si.com slash college slash LSU. Uh, we got some great content coming up and, uh, actually LSU, Alabama looks like it's going to happen on December 5th. We just got the word in, you know, a couple minutes ago while we were recording this pod. So, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of interesting matchups coming up for LSU and hope you guys can give us a follow. Guys, I can tell you this. It's not because I worked with him. It's because I know him personally, and it's because if I read his work, Glenn is phenomenal. He's another great name to follow in the Baton Rouge area when it comes to writing about the LSU Tigers. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and, of course, at LockedOnPodcast.com. Tomorrow, Chrissy Freud from LSU Wire Party USA Today is going to be hopping on the podcast, talking a little bit more about quarterbacks. QB gurus are fantastic. She is one of my favorite around the league. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, take me all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.